Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour, and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. Thank you. Turn your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, the 18th chapter, and we will look at a small little parable that our Lord and Savior gave us in Luke chapter 18, and we will begin reading from the ninth verse. And the title of our study this morning is, How Do You Worship? Simple question, but it will require a little bit of searching to find the answer. How do you worship? Luke chapter 18, reading from verse 9. The Savior here says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." That's a fairly simple story that's very so self-explanatory and obvious that we can all just say amen and nod our heads and say, that's right. Praise the Lord. It's a story that really doesn't need too much comment, does it? And it's in those stories that we think are so simple and profound and and that all the lessons are just so obvious there that we need to spend a little more time in examining to see what we can actually learn if it has a meaning for us today. Because this is one of those parables that Jesus said that had so much contained in it in so few words. This was one of those parables that got Jesus into a lot of trouble. And so we want to see what the obvious message of this simple story is that hardly needs comment. And the observation I want to keep in mind that's uh, worth noting is that the teachings of Christ are all timeless. This parable was not only spoken for the people then and there, this parable applies for us today as well. Right, right now, this morning. Because the same problem that people had back then is the same problem that people have now. It's the same kind of people. We haven't really changed. And the same situation that existed back then exists now. We're all the same type of people. And in this parable, it brings out the fact that there are two groups of worshipers who go to church to worship God. Two groups, two categories. And these groups are here today as well. You are either one or the other. It would be nice you know, if you were coming in and someone could stand at the door and identify which category you're in, but that's not what happens. The identification has to be made by you. And what we want to do today is we will look at the publican and we will look at the Pharisee and we will do some heart searching and heart examination and see which kind of worshiper am I? 
Not my neighbor, not my brother or sister, but which kind of worshiper am I? Which group am I in? And we have to decide for ourselves. So we'll spend some time looking at the picture of the Pharisee, looking at his attitude, looking at his behavior. And as we look at this picture, I want you to look at this picture and see if that resembles you. And then we're going to look at the picture of the publican and see his attitude, his behavior. And as you look at that picture, I want you to examine yourself and see if that resembles you. And then we'll look at the Pharisee again, and then we'll look at the publican again. And we'll keep doing that until we make sure we understand which one resembles us, resembles you and me today. That's what I want to do. Because there is a, a serious problem that Jesus was bringing out in this parable. This is a problem that's called Phariseeism. Now, some of us might think, well, that's, that's all uh, a bygone era. Is Phariseeism still alive today? Well, it most certainly is. Not only is it alive, it is prosperous and it is doing very well, and it has more in its ranks today than it did in the days of Jesus, actually. Phariseeism is quite a problem. This is a plague, actually, among God's professed people today. The dangerous thing about this plague is that it is so infectious. It is so easily transmitted. You catch it really quick, and it's so hard to lose. This is the problem that the Savior is identifying here. And the danger in this problem of Phariseeism is that it resembles Christianity so much that it is almost impossible to tell the difference. That's why you have to do the heart examination today yourself and see which worshiper are you. The danger is that it is so difficult to diagnose this problem. The, uh, the next step from that is once it is diagnosed, it is almost impossible to cure. It requires a very serious miracle to cure the problem of Phariseeism. We're dealing with a very serious issue here. So in the story, in this parable, we're going to look at some contrasts that the Bible presents for us, and we're going to examine these contrasts a little. The first contrast, of course, is in the two men. One of them was a Pharisee and the other was a publican. Who is or who were the Pharisees? If you remember, is a Pharisee a good thing or a bad thing? Usually today a Pharisee is something that has a negative connotation, doesn't it? It's not good to be a Pharisee, we all know that. But actually in the days of Christ it was very good to be a Pharisee. A Pharisee was something that was very outstanding in the community, in the religious community. The word Pharisee actually means the separated ones. You see, what these Pharisees were, they were a group of people who had separated themselves to dedicate their life to following God's instructions and God's laws to the very letter in every aspect. To be a Pharisee was a very great responsibility. It was an honor, of course, but it was also a very responsibility. It was a meticulous work with great zeal and obeying all the rules of all the do's and all the don'ts. Added to that were all the interpretations of the scribes and the elders and the fathers. A Pharisee was someone who had committed and dedicated his life for the purpose of living to please God by following all the rules and regulations that there were. There were so many rules and regulations that it required uh, the Pharisee to just have a full-time job from morning to evening, just keeping all these rules and regulations. 
And so the Pharisee was a man who was very well acquainted with the religious requirements of God. And as we look at this picture, I, I don't want us to just think of that as information. I want you to see if that picture resembles you or not, because this is really the purpose of this, of this parable, of this study. This Pharisee uh, was very well respected in what he did. It wasn't a light thing to belong to the sect of the Pharisees. It was a very great honor. Everyone felt that religion was safe in the hands of the Pharisees. They were the protectors and guardians of the faith. They lived it, they breathed it, they ate it, they slept it, they did everything in regards to the instructions in the scriptures. And this group was very, very exclusive. Not everybody could belong to, a fair, uh, to the group, sect of the Pharisees. It was a very exclusive group. And as a result of this exclusivity, there was a great, great problem in that it made these Pharisees rather proud and a little self-important in their own eyes. They actually come to hold others in contempt as a result of being involved in this type of group. So this is just what a Pharisee was like in those days. Let's give us a picture, a background, as we keep examining those two uh, people, these two persons, it'll help us understand how we fit into the picture. What about the publican? Was the publican something good? The publican was not something good. Why? What was his job? The publican was a man who had betrayed his people to work for the enemy, to put it simply. He was a man who was hired by the Roman uh, emperor, you know, the Roman nation that was uh, ruling Jerusalem at the time. He many times was a Jew who had sold his loyalty to his own people to help the enemy for selfish gain, to make a quick dollar. That's what the publican's job was. He was a tax collector, a tax collector for Rome. And of course, if uh, we understand a little bit of how the tax collection worked at the time, it might give us a bit of an insight as to why this office was looked on so unfavorably. You see, Rome divided its territories into different uh, sectors and different, different areas and territories. And of course, each area, had to come up with a specific quota of tax for that particular year. And it was the tax collector's job to make sure that that was met. Anything that was collected above that was pocketed by the publican. So you can just imagine the publican was the type of man who really put the pressure on the people because he just wanted to get that requirement out of the way and then it was smooth sailing. So he was not a man that was weak or uh, unable to uh, achieve. He was many times a very ambitious man, a very resourceful man. He was actually tough and a bit of an extortioner. He would not hesitate to fleece his own people to make a living. He was really everything that the Pharisees said about him. Exactly. That's what the publican was like. And uh, the people, of course, you can imagine, had no respect for such a man at all. They really hated the publicans. Not only that, but they believed 
and told the publicans repeatedly that they were sinners who could not be saved because they had committed the unpardonable sin, betraying their own people and turning to the enemy. And so they were the outcasts of society. It's interesting as we look at these two characters, the one is a good character and the other is a bad character. And the amazing thing this, in this parable, Jesus brings out an aspect that is so contrary to our thinking that is really challenging for us. And this is what I want to challenge you with today. You see, the, as we look at their actions a little bit, we see that the Pharisee was a man who came to church. Is there anything wrong with coming to church? Nothing wrong, is that right? We're all here today. The Pharisee was a man who prayed. Something wrong with praying? No, that's a good thing. That's a highly commendable thing. We ought to always pray, the Bible says. The Pharisee was a man who fasted. Probably fasted more than most of us do here. Is that a good thing? Yes, a very good thing. Not only that, but he also paid his tithe. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Outwardly, this man could not be faulted. He had everything going right for him. This man was fanatical in his service to God. And as such, he exerted an influence on society around him. What kind of influence was exerted by the Pharisee? Was it good or bad, do you think? It's a bit of a trick question, huh? The Pharisees ex exerted a very good influence because they upheld the standard. The Pharisees were an example of what a believer should look like. He goes to church, he prays, he fasts, he gives his tithe, and he does everything that he can to please God. And that was the perception. As people looked on that, they saw someone who exerted a very good influence. And yet this man was not accepted of God. Isn't that interesting? See, another, he had another problem. This man, the Bible tells us, he went away not being justified. He was not justified. You see, underneath all these things, underneath all these good and wonderful things that he did as a man of God, there was a very deep problem. A very serious problem. Underneath these things, there was a wrong spirit. It was a spirit that does not resemble Christianity at all. It looks like it on the outside, on the surface, it has the appearance of it, but on the inside, it's an attitude problem. In his spirit, there is something wrong. And the reason why this man comes to church is because he has all these right things that he is doing. That's his reason for coming, because all these outward acts are correct. But underneath is a wrong spirit and a very deep-seated problem. You see, wrong actions are obvious to detect, but it's not as easy when the attitude is wrong. It's a little more subtle. And this is the point that Christ is bringing out here. A wrong and a critical spirit many times goes by unchecked and unidentified. And this is the problem that this man had. Outwardly he was fine, inwardly he was all wrong. Is this a problem that we have today? What do you think? When everything looks fine and well on the outside, but on the inside it is not. See, I want us to really examine our hearts as we look at the two different pictures of these men. This is a very 
epidemic problem among God's people today, actually, where everything seems fine on the outside, but on the inside, it really isn't fine. This is a prevailing sin among us, actually. We know that because the faithful witness says that himself. And the problem among God's people is identified in the book of Revelation in the church that is called Laodicea. This is precisely Laodicea's problem. If you look at the beginning of the, of the parable that we read in verse 9, notice what group of people is being addressed here in verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus, it says here, spake this parable unto certain which what? Trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That's the problem that is being addressed. Unknowingly trusting to themselves to think that they are righteous to the point that they actually keep the Savior away. This is a very serious problem among us today. That's Laodicea's problem. Laodicea's problem is trusting in themselves to the point of pushing the Savior away so that where is he? He's outside trying to come in. And yet they think that there is no problem. That's exactly the problem of the Pharisee. Everything seems right. Everything seems well. But the Savior has gone missing. He has been pushed outside, and there is this trust in self and what self has done and all the things that have been accomplished. Are you uh, asking yourself the question of which one you look like? That's what I really want you to do. Let's not forget the point. But here, on the other hand, we have the publican. The publican was a man who was an extortioner, who was a thief, who was a sinner, who was a liar, who did not hesitate to do everything in his power to take advantage of people. He was a sinner in every sense of the word. We're not told that he fasted, are we? We're not told that he even paid his tithe. And yet we are told that this man went to his home justified. What kind of influence would the publican exert on society? Was it a good or a bad influence? A very bad influence. You know, people just got angry seeing him. They knew what he was up to. They didn't know, of course, how rich they were because they actually never told people how much was required by the Roman government. That was something that only they knew and the government knew. And so people were paying taxes without really knowing what is going where. He was a man that exerted a very negative influence. And yet this man is brought out in the parable of Christ as one who went away accepted by God rather than the Pharisee. And the question is, which one are we like today? We want to see why he was accepted. But before we go on, we want to note a few similarities between these two men. There, there are some differences, there are contrasts, but there are also some similarities. Because, like we said, these two men, they represent... Two groups of people that have a lot of similarities with each other. Both men believed in God, is that right? Both men had a commitment to God that wasn't half-hearted. And that's evidenced by the fact that they went to church. You know, a lot of people, uh, you ask them today, do you believe in God? They say, oh, yes, of course. Then you ask them, well, do you go to church? And they kind of say, oh, well, mm, and they come up with some kind of an answer of, well, not really. And 
There's no real commitment there. But here we see that these two men not only believed in God, but they, they followed that up with a commitment. They actually both went to the synagogue. They went to church. And both men believed in prayer. So these are men who believe in God. They go to church and they pray. Both are in that situation. Not only that, but both of them desired their prayers to be effective. They expected something from their prayers. And it's to this very class that Christ writes or speaks this parable. This parable is to those who believe in God and who go to church and who pray. These are the type of people that Christ is addressing. And this is why we're looking at that today. Let's look at their prayers just briefly here. Let's go to verse, still in Luke 18, verse 11 and 12, and see the prayer that was prayed. And as we read this, we want to just look up at that picture again and see which one really resembles you. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithe, tithes of all that I possess. What's something that's very recurrent in the prayer of this Pharisee? I, isn't it? Self figures very largely in the religion of this Pharisee. It's all about himself. His religion really is all about what he does and doesn't do. That's a class of worshipers that is present today. Could be here. This could be you. This man has very high confidence in self, and this is precisely his problem. He has great confidence and a great and high opinion of himself. So much so that he presents himself to God in a prayer that doesn't really ask for anything. Isn't that interesting? He, he asks for nothing in this prayer, does he? Not one thing. You know what that means? He felt no need of anything. Why should he ask? He's got everything all well and figured out. He's quite okay. This man had no need whatsoever, and that's why there was no request. He really needed no savior. This man, he had no sense of it, he had no expression of it. He was fully satisfied in what he did. And he felt, and he was very convinced that what he did was totally acceptable in God's eyes. And he reminded God to make sure that God can see the contrast between himself and this other worshiper who was at the back of the church, that poor, miserable sinner. The Pharisee was reminding God, telling him, just remember, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like him. He is over there. I am over here. And the contrast is so obvious to me. I'm so thankful, Lord. I'm sure you also see it. That was his attitude. The man was occupied with examining others and comparing others to himself and himself with others. He didn't ask for anything for himself, and he did not pray for anyone else. You know, it would be interesting if the Pharisee had prayed for the publican. He doesn't even bother praying for him. That thought doesn't even occur to him. Say, Lord, help this poor sinner. You know, he's not well. He doesn't even pray for that poor sinner. 
He is so engrossed in what he is like, and he is so thankful that he is not like that, and he makes no request. Totally self-sufficient. And as a result of this self-sufficiency, it made him a despiser of others. This is a very serious situation here. Self-sufficiency is manifest in despising others. I want you to look at your heart in light of that. How is it between you and others? Not feeling a need. That was his problem. That's clearly see his problem, isn't it? Christ says, because, you're, because you say you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But in reality, you are poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. That's the problem of the Pharisees. Is this your problem today? You know, we can express a need that we don't really feel with our lips and so deceive ourselves. We can say like the Pharisees, well, I keep the Sabbath. Well, that's pretty good. But the Pharisee also kept the Sabbath. He wasn't accepted of God. You might say, well, I know the truth and understand it very well. That's, that's highly commendable. So did the Pharisee, and he wasn't accepted of God. You might say, well, I pay my tithe faithfully, and you should. But so did the Pharisee, and he was not accepted of God. You see a problem here. We sometimes look to these things and trust in these things, and in the process, we actually shut the Savior out. And the merit of the Savior, we say, thank you, I can have my own. I do, after all, all these things. And in the process, we leave the Savior out. That's the problem that this Pharisee had. That's the problem that we have today. And so the Savior, when it comes to Laodicea, is not found inside, but he's found where? Outside, knocking, seeking to come in. If this is how you think, I want you to beware. Be very careful. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. Let's go to our second text. Mark chapter 2. It's not too many passages here today. We're just spending some time doing some heart searching. Mark chapter 2, and we will look at verse 17, where Jesus says something to the same effect that shows who can really benefit from his work. Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. And the Bible here says, When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you feel you are whole, you have no need of a physician. That's what the Pharisee felt like. And the reason why he felt he was whole is because he did all these things right. He did all these things well, and he executed them to the letter. So it was very difficult, if you lived in those days, to fault a Pharisee. Very, very difficult. And this is the very thing that Christ dared to do in this parable. He dared to fault a Pharisee. Big problem. You know, it was because of telling stories like this that Jesus lost his life. That got people angry. And uh, I don't want to get you angry today, but I really want you to look at your heart. I want me to look at my heart too. This is a very serious problem that... Jesus is warning us about when we don't have a need, when we don't feel a need, we cannot receive the help that the Savior wants us to have. I want us to remember something because many times we are prone to think that so long as we're not doing some horrible, scandalous sin, 
we're okay. We're not as bad as the next guy. And uh, we are glory bound because I'm not doing this horrible deed. You know, I'm not an adulterer. He is, or she is. I'm not like that. I want you to be careful of that because the Pharisee had no scandalous sins whatsoever. He had one little problem of attitude. His thinking process and how he felt about himself and others was a little bit problematic. But that little problematic issue was enough to cause him not to be accepted of God. We do not need to have a scandalous sin in order to recognize our need. So the question then is this, are there any Pharisees here today? That's the question. And you might think, you know, this, this problem is so subtle. We might think, no, of course not. I know this sister, she would really benefit from this question. Well, this brother, he should really listen carefully. And we have this deflection attitude of when something comes, yes, for this person, that person. I, I want you to forget about brother and sister X and Y and think about yourself. This is a self problem. It's very easy. It's very, very easy for us to start to start trusting in our own righteousness when we are doing things right. It's very easy and it's very natural for us. We recount all the good things that we do and all the bad things that we don't do. And you know what? When we do that, we have a sense of feeling a little bit good about ourselves, don't we? You know, I'm not that bad. If you really examine the checklist, you will find that I actually have a lot going for me. We do that so often. And then to confirm this fact, we see, because if you look at brother such and such and look at his list, he doesn't have really as much going for him as I do for me. So I'm very thankful that I am not like that. That's the Pharisee, isn't it? So that's the question I'm asking. Is there any Pharisees here today? Because this Pharisee is not going to heaven, is he? What do you think? He's not. He's not accepted of God, the Bible says. He was not accepted. Do we compare ourselves with others? And do we measure ourselves with others? That's a very clear indicator of which one of the two we really are. Let's go to the book of Leviticus and see why the Pharisee felt the way he did. Was there any justification for him to feel that way? Leviticus chapter 6. This is another problem that goes a little deeper yet again. Leviticus chapter 6. And we'll see here the instruction that this Pharisee was very familiar with, probably had it memorized, and he would probably repeat it on his way past Mr. Publican at the tax desk, and he would remind him, and so would many others, about this instruction that God gave in Leviticus 6, and we'll read it from verse 2 down to 5. Leviticus chapter 6. It says, If a soul sin and commit a trespass against the Lord and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered him to keep, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or hath deceived his neighbor, or have found that which was lost, and lieth concerning it, and sweareth falsely, in any of all these that a man doeth, sinning therein, then it shall be, because he hath sinned and is guilty, 
that he shall restore that which he took violently away, or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten, or that which was delivered him to keep, or the lost thing which he found. Verse 5, or all that about which he hath sworn falsely, he shall even restore it in the principle, and shall add the fifth part more thereto, and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. Here is a passage dealing with all the different sins, and of course, right there in the middle, there is no question that every publican in the land of Israel fitted this description. And the Pharisee knew that. That was something that God had said. And the Pharisee had every reason, according to the Bible, to believe what he believed about the publican. He was justified in his own mind to think that way about himself. Now I want to challenge you with this thought. Do you say, I know I am right, and you have all the verses to prove your position right, and thereby that causes you to despise others who might not see it in the same light? That's exactly the problem that this man had. You couldn't fault the man. He said, look, the Bible says, do not overcharge. The Bible does say that. But the problem was this. The Pharisee used this to despise and look down upon that publican. And he used this to feel better about himself. I know I am right. And he reminded God of that fact just in case God forgot. This is self-righteousness and self-justification. Beware if you think you are right, and because you think you are right, you despise others because they are not exactly on the same page. You just might be that very Pharisee that Christ was talking about in this parable. That's the warning. What about the publican? How did the publican react. You know, we don't even have to go back to the parable. The story is so simple. You only have to read it once and all the details are there in your head. The publican, it tells us, he stood afar off. He stood apart from the worshippers and would not even lift his eyes to heaven. And his prayer was very short and to the point. What did he say? God be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says he smote upon his breast. First thing we see, this man felt that he was not as good as he ought to be. <laughs> he stood apart from others. The reason he stood apart from others, unlike the Pharisee, was because he felt unworthy. The Pharisee stands apart from others because he is better. And this is a serious problem. The publican's prayer was only between him and God. In his prayer, he shut out everyone else. He had no issue with other people's sins and other people's problems, did he? His biggest problem was his own sin. And he saw that when he compared himself with his God. It was only him and God. And his desire was for peace and for pardon. That was the desire of the publican. He was deeply concerned about his own need. He was deeply concerned about his own failure, so much so that he smote upon his breast. He couldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. This is a man who sensed 
a need, a very deep and desperate need. He didn't even mention the Pharisee in his prayer. He didn't mention the Pharisee. He came with a need and he came looking for something specific. He came looking for a savior to help him in his need. That's why he went to church. And the Bible says when he left church, he was accepted of God. So how do we come and how do we worship? How do you worship today? Like the Pharisee or like the publican? You see, this was a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave in Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That man was poor in spirit. Was the Pharisee a man who was poor in spirit? No, sir. He was not poor in spirit. He was very, very high in his spirit. He had a very high attitude and high opinion of himself. You see, the Pharisee comes to church with a high head and looks around at everybody else who's come to church that day. And he takes stock as to where everyone's at. So he has this brother here. Oh, yes, I know what he does. Yeah, And this sister. Oh, hi, sister. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord. And he looks at everyone else. And in his prayer, in the opening prayer, he probably bows his head and says, Lord, I'm so thankful I'm not as bad as this, as this brother. I'm so thankful I don't have this problem like this sister. Lord, I thank you that I am not that bad. That's the Pharisee's prayer. He's measuring himself by other people. You know, we're prone to do that. I don't, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands if you've done that, because we all do that, because it's part of our nature, because it's how we can feel good about ourselves when we look at others and we compare ourselves with others. There is a sense of superiority that comes when we are horrified by other people's sins. Oh no, that's shocking what this brother did. And we have this horror, and this horror also helps us feel a little bit good about our own self. How many times are we found doing that in the quiet recesses of our minds? When we have a judgmental spirit on Sabbath and we come. And you know, the sad thing is because, because this is so natural to us, we get so good at doing this that we actually end up deceiving ourselves. And when this is challenged, we think, no, that's not me. I am okay. This is the problem. And we judge each other and we look at what each other are doing and not doing and what we're wearing and not wearing. We take a mental note. And we think we're doing good, but we're really comparing ourselves with each other. And in so doing, we are actually taking our eyes off the Savior. Because when you compare yourselves with, yourself with others, you will always find someone worse off than you that will make you feel good about yourself. Guaranteed. You always will. And that's the problem that we have. You know, sometimes we comment and hear things that happen and horror, horrific sins, and we think, boy, you know, I would never be found doing that. I would never alive be caught having done something like that or saying something like that. Thank you, Lord, that I am not like that. I praise God that I don't do what this sister does. We come to church as a body to seek the Savior. 
And this is the point that Christ was bringing out in this parable. These two men came to church. They feared God. They believed in God. They prayed and they attended the worship season, but for two very different reasons. And this is why I want to challenge you today as to how you worship. We don't come here to see each other, but we need to come here together to seek God. And every time we look at ourselves and compare ourselves with God, we will feel like the publican felt. Every time we look at others and compare ourselves with others, we will feel like the Pharisee felt. So the question is, how do you feel? And you don't have to tell me, but I want you to think. You see, the publican was very ashamed. The publican had nothing that he did that he could trust in. Everything that he did was a big mess. That's obvious. We all know that. Even the Pharisee knew that. But he did not have anything to put his trust in except God. He wholly relied on God. Other people were better in his eyes than himself. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? We ought to esteem others better than ourselves. The publican felt that way. He said, Lord, I have a problem. I am a sinner. He did not compare himself with others. He actually drew apart from the group and his prayer and his attitude reflects the fact that he did not feel that he was worthy, that the others, he esteemed them much better than himself. The Pharisee, on the other hand, trusted in what he did. And the question I want to ask you today, are you trusting in what you are doing for acceptance with God? You know, do we sit there and think, and sometimes we remind the Lord of all our good deeds, just in case he forgets, and say, Lord, I do all these things. You know, there's a group of people that Christ warned us about in Matthew chapter 7 that reflect this attitude of the Pharisee, and they quite, get quite a rude shock in the end of time. Matthew chapter 7, we'll look at verses 22 and 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> this is a good example of those people that trust in what they do, and yet... This is what they hear. Verse 22, it says, Many, Jesus speaking, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity. What a shocking, shocking situation. If God had answered the prayer of the Pharisee, this is probably what God would have said to the Pharisee. I don't know you. Depart from me. In essence, that's what Christ said. This man went to his home, not justified. This is a problem that we need to watch for. As we said, this was one of those parables that Christ earned the intense hatred and animosity of the Pharisees by. See, after all, it was the Pharisees that constantly hindered and hampered the work of Christ. It was never the publicans. He had problems always with the Pharisees, the religious zealots, the fanatical men who served God so meticulously. He always had trouble with them. He never had trouble with the publicans. You see, this parable revealed something about the Pharisees that really upset them. Christ challenged them. He, he spoke 
about that which really hurts. He told them that God is not satisfied with the religion of, ex of externals. God is not at all satisfied with an external outward religion. Let's go to Luke chapter 16 and see how that's brought out again. Luke chapter 16. And I still want you to keep thinking as we look at these two pictures to examine and see which one resembles you and which one doesn't. Because the thing is, we don't have to stay like the Pharisee. Luke chapter 16 and verse 15. Luke 16, 15, notice what Christ here says, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Imagine how the Pharisees felt listening to that. Christ tells them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but remember, God knows your heart. My brother and my sister, I want to tell you something. You might look good on the outside. You might do everything right. God knows your heart. God can see what spirit and what attitude you have towards your brethren, what spirit you are harboring, and God knows your hearts. And he says that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Wow! Imagine a Pharisee hearing that. A Pharisee being referred to as... An abomination. Oh boy, no wonder they killed Christ. Abomination is a pretty bad word, isn't it? We, we reserve that word for those high crimes that are really bad. Here, Christ was saying, the most respected men, the most honored men, are rejected by God. That's quite a lesson for us, isn't it? These people looking up to the Pharisees, felt that the Pharisee was next to the gate of heaven. And Christ told them, that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Not only that, but Christ went on to teach them that the most despised people that they hated and looked down upon, these very people were actually accepted by God. Well, that's re that really puts a spin on things. That poor brother or poor sister that is not as good as you, might be the one that God accepts while He rejects you. You see, we don't know what goes on in people's minds. We don't know what people are going through. We are in no position to be judges of other people. We only damage our own soul when we do that, because it only feeds our self-righteousness. And so Christ challenged them really strongly, and they hated that. And today I am challenging you and you might hate that, but I challenge you nonetheless. Because we know that the end is almost here, but it's not here yet. So we need to look carefully at our heart. What about awareness of sin? You see, this Pharisee, this man, had a very keen sense, a very acute perception and ability to detect sin in others, didn't he? He was really good at that. He was able to see the sins of other men, and he was not only that, but he thought about them, he meditated on them because he had them in a ready list in his mind. 
He is so busy looking at all the faults and shortcomings of others, he really doesn't have too much time to spend looking at his own shortcomings and failures. I want you to really think about that. I want you to look in your heart right now, and I'll ask you a question. Which sins are you most able to see right now? Is it your sins or someone else's? And that will really tell you where you might be. This will help you as you come to church to know which one you really are. You see, some people think that they are really well endowed with perception because they can point out all the problems in the brethren. And you come to say, oh yeah, this brother, I know he's got this problem and that problem and the other problem, and they have a long, lit a long list of all the issues. This sister, oh yes, this sister. Oh yeah, but she's got this problem and that problem and the other problem. And they think that that's quite good because they're aware, their, their hand is on the pulse of the welfare of God's people. Such people are very, very dangerous people, I must tell you. Incredibly dangerous people. They think they have this high level of discernment and acuteness, but this actually is a detriment to their very own soul. I want to ask you a question. Are you more bothered by other people's sins or by your own sins? That's a question we really need to ask ourselves. That's what the Pharisee had a problem with, wasn't it? All the sins of that man, he didn't have any of his own. Which problem occupies our thoughts the most when we come to worship God with the brethren? Is it the problems that we see or might be aware of in others, or is it our own? You see, this self-righteousness, this self-justification, this is quite a subtle sin, but it's the sin that will keep people out of the kingdom. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful, isn't it? Above all things and desperately wicked. You know, it's amazing. We could be sitting here talking and you might look at yourself and say, I'm not a Pharisee. From all these questions and thoughts, mm, no, that's not me. I am not self-righteous. And if that really is the case, I praise the Lord for that. But remember, this sin is so subtle, it can deceive even you. The Pharisee really believed himself to be good. He really did. He was so convicted, you couldn't convince him otherwise. He was so convicted that they actually killed the Savior who told them otherwise. And this is the problem. We're told that whoever trusts in himself that he is righteous will despise others. That's a good test. That's a question I'll ask you. Do you despise others? Do you feel that others are not as good as you. Especially when you see that they don't live up to the standard that you hold. You know, many times we, we would have, uh, maybe not today, but we go and, and eat. A lot of people observe what others are eating. And based on what they're eating or not eating, or even how much they're eating, they make a very small mental note about that person. And sometimes the note is a self-commendation note. Well, I didn't have any of that. Oh, this poor brother. He's not where I'm at. He's not where I'm at yet. 
Well, maybe we'll, maybe, and maybe they might think, or you might think to send up a prayer for the brother. That's not usual. It's not common. You're a rare person if you do that. But that's the problem we all have. If this is what you feel like towards others, or if you've ever done that, you're thinking like a Pharisee, aren't you? You really are. That's, there's, no, there's no nice way to say it. That's just, you're either this one or that one, and we need to be careful. Don't look around and see who's worse off, because that judgmental spirit will actually damage your own soul. Do you look down on others who are not where you are? Well, if we look at each other, we must. But if we look at the Savior, we don't. And this is the question, where are we looking? At others or ourselves? The moment you feel you are better than someone, or the moment that you cherish a thought that you are not as bad as this person, this brother or this sister, you belong to the group of the Pharisees. And this is why we're asking this, because that's a way of finding out. Each one must examine his own self. Do we look uh, down on others or not? You see, the problem that we have, and the issue, is never really about us and others, and our sins and other people's sins. This is not the issue at all. We get sidetracked when we think that way. The issue is about us and God. It's your sins and God. The sins of others don't really factor into your case, except if you are faulty in your thinking. And this is why Christ said at the end of that parable, everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, but he that humbles himself shall be exalted. This is the key. Humility, true, genuine humility in heart and mind, manifest in our attitude towards our brothers and our sisters. Are we a Pharisee or are we a publican? What about influence? We talked a little bit about influence. The interesting and amazing thing, I want us to think about that for a little bit, is that the Pharisee almost always finds himself in a position of high influence. Almost always, Pharisees are in a position of high influence where they are looked up to by others. And that's why it's that much more dangerous. Because people generally trust the Pharisee. The people of Israel trusted that their religion was safe in the hands of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had a lot of influence on the people. The Pharisee gains confidence among people because he is so sharp and acute in detecting all the sins and faults and problems that exist in others. People think, well, this man knows what's right and what's wrong. This, this man ought to be respected. This man knows what he's talking about. Let's follow him. But this is a dangerous situation, a very, very dangerous situation. Pharisees many times are very talented and very capable and very critical of others. And that's a dangerous situation. The publican also had an awareness of sin, didn't he? But his awareness of sin was of that sin that was in him. His own sin. 
That's where his awareness of sin was. He wasn't looking for all the sins and problems in other people. He did not compare himself with others, but he compared himself with his God. And that's what we said before. When you compare yourself with Christ, you will be led to confess your sins. You will see the standard of righteousness as it really is. When you compare yourself with others, you will be led to feel good about yourself. Always happens. So that's what I'm asking you to think about today. Humility came about because this man compared himself with God and not with others. So this is the test. Whose sins do we confess? We all should confess our own, but which sins do you confess? The Pharisee, and when I say confess, I don't mean to say sorry for, but which sins really stand out in your mind, that occupy your mind and your attention? Time, and it take up your time and energy. You see, the attitude that the Pharisee had of recounting other sins is something that happens so subtly today. Nobody stands up and prays like the Pharisee today. If it was, if it was that simple, you know, <laughs> things would be a lot easier. Nobody does that. We have developed a very meticulous, sophisticated, and highly complicated method of praying like the Pharisee, but not in those words. It's by having an, uh, that spirit and that attitude residing there, and it's constantly there. We have to recognize that those people that are worse off than us, in our estimation, are exactly on the same platform that we are. We are no higher, and they are no lower. And as someone aptly put it, we need to look at people and recognize that were it not for the grace of God, that's where we would be. We look at grave, horrible sinners, people who, who commit atrocious crimes, and we have a sense of congratulating self that we are not that bad. I want to tell you something. We are all that bad. We're all made of the same stuff, aren't we? And this is something we must recognize. This is something we must keep in mind. And so salvation is in humility, in confessing our own sins rather than the sins of others. You see, people who trust themselves, people who have confidence in self, people who are self-righteous, people who are who justify self, unknowingly killed the Savior. And that could be you here today. You kill the Savior out of your experience because you justify yourself. This is the same tragedy. And the hardest, the, the tragedy, the hardest thing about this problem is that it is almost incurable because the Pharisee does not have a sense of a need. He doesn't feel like he needs anything. And this is why the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees stood out so clearly. There were two very different religions, the religion of Christ and the Pharisees. Outwardly, they were the same, but inwardly, they were totally different. Jesus saw sinners as people who needed to be loved and reached. The Pharisees saw sinners as people who were to be despised and hated. Christ sought out and won at all costs sinners. But the Pharisees saw the sinner as someone to be avoided and someone to be shunned. Someone not even to pray next to in the church. You know how many times we come to church and we select our seats strategically based on who might be sitting in the area. Has that ever happened? 
well, I don't want to sit there. I'll just go sit over here. You know, there's so many ways that we behave like the Pharisees. The Pharisees had narrowed the love of God so much that they felt that they were the exclusive favorites of God to the exclusion of everyone else. Christ came and did the exact opposite of that. He widened the love of God to include everyone, sinner and saint alike, because God is not a respecter of persons. And brothers and sisters, this is the kind of love that we desperately need today. It only comes from the Savior. It comes from beholding the Savior. We need it desperately among us, because according to the faithful and true witness, our biggest problem is the problem of the Pharisee. The Bible says a true witness will not lie. We desperately need that today. Instead of pointing to the sins of others and the mistakes and shortcomings of others and dwelling on them and telling others about them and making them your meditation and your contemplation to the point that you become an expert in other sins, why don't you reach out to them, put your arms around them and pray with them? Say, brother, sister, I want to help you. Let's pray together. Why don't we do the right thing? Because we are in a battle that is soon to close. And the sad reality is many of us are not ready. This is what Jesus did and this is what Jesus taught us. And I just pray that God will give us, indeed, each and every one of us here, such love like that, that we might leave this place like the publican accepted of God and not like the Pharisee. This is only possible if we seek it because we recognize a need and we seek it from the Lord who can provide that. So if you have in this examination, looking at these pictures, seen that you might have been a little bit resembling the Pharisee and not as much resembling the publican, when we pray now, I want you to pray in your heart, not like the Pharisee, but pray like the publican. If you need, if you feel the need for that, and pray for that love that Jesus told us is the sign that we are his disciples. May this love be ours. Let's just close with a word of prayer. If you'd like to join me, those who are able, as we kneel. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that Jesus is a savior who can read our hearts. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that thou wilt make each and every one of us here, like the publican, Lord, to recognize our true condition, that we might go from this place justified that the answer to our prayers, Lord, may be heard. Please forgive us, Lord, for the times when we have been and are like the Pharisee. This is so natural to us, Lord, but we know that Christ understands and Christ offers forgiveness to all those who will seek him. So, Lord, I just pray, please, that thou grant us more of Jesus and less and less of self, that he might decrease and that we might increase and that we might be more like him. This is our prayer now. For Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.